Thank you for tuning your hearts in for another episode of the Hearts Rise Up podcast. I'm Carol Chapman, your host, along with my co-hosts, Ann Sari and Conchetta Antonelli. We share our own personal experiences, tips, and strategies, along with powerful stories and compelling insights from guest interviews. We're here to inspire and empower your conscious evolution, help you tap into your inner wisdom and rise to your heart-centered higher self. Together, we can rise to a higher level of consciousness, an elevated state of being, and experience more love, joy, and freedom. Welcome, welcome back, Hearts Rise Up podcast listeners. I hope that life and the world is treating you well today. Thank you for listening in. I'm thrilled today to have my featured guest on the show. Her name is Linda Palio. Let me share a bit about Linda. She's the author of multi-award-winning, best-selling visionary novel, Trusting the Currents. She has lived multiple lives in one body. A caregiver by nature, an intuitive and empath by birth, Linda has always been deeply committed to elevating human consciousness. This life purpose has guided her as an accomplished New York advertising executive, as a thought leader in conscious communications practices, and as the world's first chief consciousness officer at a global marketing and consultancy. She is experienced in various spiritual disciplines, energetic practices, and healing modalities. Her current passion is helping people understand and connect to energetic frequencies that expand self-awareness for personal and global transformation. Linda recently moved from New York City to Sedona, Arizona, and like many others, is in the process of becoming something new and unexpected. Linda, welcome to the show. Hi, Carol. Thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. This is just terrific. And I just want to say you have such an interesting background. And I see parallels in my life with yours, particularly working in corporate and consulting environments, and then, you know, subsequent entrepreneurial pursuits, and uh, you know, all the while exploring spiritual practices for self-discovery. I'm always curious to learn about other personal life stories people's struggles, their turning points and rising moments. And of course, that's a good portion of what our podcast is all about. And I definitely want to cover all of that. But I also want to talk about your current passion, what you're working on uh, and towards. And of course, your book. I'm very intrigued with your book, the, the title of it. So first of all, I have a couple questions. And one is I was exploring your, your website and I came across a statement, a quote, and it had uh, something to the effect, I wandered through a childhood feeling like I belong somewhere else, a time, a place waiting for me. And I'm just wondering, have you found it yet? I don't know. I mean, I definitely found it by being in Sedona. Um, I've, Sedona has always been my soul home from the first time I literally heard a voice tell me to come here um, after I had taken care of my father for a year before he died. And right after he passed, I got up in the morning and I heard a voice say, go to Sedona. And I walked out and told my boyfriend, I'm going to Sedona. He said, where's that? And I said, it's in Arizona. And about three weeks later, I was on a plane. I had no idea why I was going, had no idea where I was staying or how long I was going for, but I got there, ended up staying five months the first time, and really felt like it was home. I just remember driving into Sedona the first time and feeling those Red Rock Mountains sort of embrace me as a welcome home. And I felt more like myself here than I ever had before. And I've always, I always have been out of place. Um, I've, my first memories of my childhood were looking around at everyone going, who are these people and what am I doing here? And I was always kind of, you know, sort of the odd child. I communicate with insects as a child, and I was very sort of intuitive and kind of knew things that were going to be happening. But I've 
I've, I've wanted to find that place that was the place that felt home. And when I first came to Sedona, I felt that. And now I'm here, but I got here in the middle of the pandemic, and it doesn't quite feel like the home I expected to be in. And again, like everyone else, I think it is, you know, moving me in a new direction. Mm. I'm definitely supposed to be here. I feel very strongly that I was going to be sort of, I was sort of come here and it was, it's a, it's a sense of real gratitude that I'm here because I left New York and we, we planned on leaving before the pandemic hit. And um, as we were giving things away to get ready to move, it all sort of moved in. So it was this very intense feeling of kind of lifting off out of New York as the portal closed behind us. And we took off here, got here in, in late March. And um, uh, I basically, you know, succeeded at coming to Sedona where I wanted to live for many, many years. And I had I couldn't for a while because I was taking care of my mother for nine years. Mm -hmm. So the whole time I was taking care of her, this to me was my place that I was going to come to, to heal and to recover and to mm -hmm. get a sort of a sense of myself again, because any caregiver knows you lose a big chunk of yourself in the process. So that's what I'm doing now. I'm, you know, I'm in the process of reclaiming myself and remembering who I am and also kind of expanding into new aspects of my identity and personality and soul because I think what happens when you go through a, a really difficult time of of, uh, of suffering is that suffering kind of opens you up um, and and sort of brings you into unknown parts of you and I think that's what I'm doing right now is kind of exploring those unknown parts and seeing what's in there and and how that will lead me to that place. Well, that is definitely a place to be in the world. I've never been to Sedona, but I've heard many things about how magical it is and how special it is. And it's probably going through the same process of becoming something new and unexpected. And, and with all the, the residents that are there and just all the things that are happening across the globe, no doubt there are changes that are, that are occurring on many levels. I, I think it would be wonderful for you to just elaborate a little bit more on your background. And, and and one thing I might say is that a lot of what happens in our childhood leaves a lasting imprint on our lives as we get older. And uh, so it would be helpful to understand a little bit more about your childhood, how how have the intuitive and empathic moments moved you forward, carried you forward? And you mentioned your relationship with your mother. I know it's, it's sort of a loaded question, but jump in at any point <laughs> that makes sense for you. Well, you know, like I said, I was, I was, you know, born a child that was very sort of different than everyone else. I, I saw life completely differently. I was very kind of spiritual, very spiritual. In fact, there were two things I wanted to be when I was five years old. One was a nun and the other was an artist. And I didn't really become either, but both of them are still sort of entangled in my in my identity. I mean, I'm very creative by nature and I've always been very, very spiritual. And, you know, that has taken different forms over the course of my life. But that was something that really was a big part of my childhood. And my parents were my father was an alcoholic, so that was an issue in our family, but there was an enormous amount of love in my family. Everyone, and I really believe that no matter what else is going on in a family, if there is a lot of love between everyone, that it can be, it can be healed, it can be overcome, and you know, we could always go back and, and kind of fix the things that were the mechanical issues, as long as there's a lot of love between people, and there was in my family. So, you know, I kind of went through that, and I was always kind of a, the the parental child. I was always sort of wiser and more mature than anyone else in my family, but I worked really hard at at kind of fitting in and, and being sort of normal because as your child, you want to be normal. But I spent a lot of times in the woods. I loved nature, which I still do. I communicated to trees and to insects and all kinds of other things and didn't really talk to many people about that because when I did, they thought I was crazy. So I just sort of, you know, became more introverted and I was very introverted. And as I grew up and, you know, went to school and kind of moved out, I just moved into a normal, what I considered a normal life. You know, you go to school, you get a job and, 
and I kind of bounced around from job to job. I really, from the time I was young, I had this feeling that I was here for something. And I think a lot of people will be able to resonate with that. You know, you just can't quite explain it, but you know you're here for something. And no matter what else you're doing in your life, no matter what career you choose, you always have this sense that there's something waiting there that you're supposed to be doing. And it feels like it's in the future, but you have no idea what that is. And you just kind of keep going, waiting for that thing to happen. So I spent a lot of time, you know, just sort of bouncing around until I stumbled into advertising. And that was sort of easy for me because I worked in business development. And I, because I work with frequencies and I'm a very good read of people and I can sense people and I'm a very good communicator, I was very successful when I was in advertising, running new business for ad agencies. And I liked it at the time because it was creative. It at least was a creative function and it allowed a lot of freedom. Um, there wasn't a nine to five thing as long as I was doing my job. They didn't care when I was coming and when I was going. So I did that for a number of years mm. and still with always the sense that there was something else calling me. And I ended up, I hadn't seen my father in 17 years and he was dying. I got a call from my uncle saying he had had a massive heart attack and he was dying. And did I want to see him? So my brother and I drove to Pennsylvania where he was and he was unconscious and I had been studying healing arts. I had been studying Reiki and therapeutic touch and and different kinds of healing arts. And I was a you know fairly good healer that way. So I worked with him. And um, in three or four days, he came out of his coma. And for the next month, I went to the hospital every day and just worked with him with doing energy work as he came out of it. Then I took him out of there and I took care of him for the last year of his life. And in that year, we were able to heal a lot of the family dynamics that were part of the problem. I mean, we had all kind of gone in separate directions from my parents had gotten divorced in a very sort of uncomfortable divorce. And we had all kind of scattered and, you know, to lick our wounds. And during that year, we all sort of came together again. And my father was redeemed. He didn't drink at all the last year. He was so happy to be back with his kids. And my mother and him kind of you know, made peace as well. And when he died, it was a hard, it was a hard year because it was demanding. Anyone that does any kind of caregiving will know that, but it was a very redemption filled year for all of us. And mm. I was feeling very good about the work that I did with him when he passed, I was with him mm. when he passed and it was quite beautiful. And that's like three days later is when I heard the voice tell me to go to Sedona. And I had never been there before, but I had heard of it and ended up there. And that sort of began my spiritual journey. I ended up there and had all kinds of mystical experiences the first time I went there. I went on raw foods. I completely, I was there for five months. I completely changed my life. I, I found out later that the Buddhists call it plunging, where you, you take yourself out of your environment and you put yourself somewhere where everything is alien. I mean, I didn't know anyone. It was an alien landscape. I changed the way I ate. There was nothing about my experience in Sedona the first time I went there that had anything to do with the person I had been. So all these layers of social conditioning just started peeling off of me. And I found that the essential Linda that had been covered up by my social conditionings began to emerge. And I really liked her. <laughs> she was she was happier and she was wise and she was compassionate and, and not as afraid as I had been as a child. And so I really got very excited about that. And I really then decided I wanted to be of service to the world and use what I felt were more my more sort of what I call, you know, the soft the, the soft technologies of wisdom, intuition, compassion, empathy, forgiveness and gratitude and bring them into the business world. So I came back after five months because I knew I was meant to be in that world as well. I was not meant to be in one world or another. I very much straddled spirituality and business for a number of years. And I really tried very hard to bring these sort of deeper heartfelt, my, my sort of line the whole time was, you know, the answers lie in the heart, which I felt that they do. And I still believe that they do. And people, unfortunately, are afraid of going in their heart because they usually have a lot of hurt in there. And they don't want to face their hurt and they don't want to look at their hurt. 
But if they allow it to come out and they allow themselves to look at it and witness it without reacting to it, your whole heart opens up and then you're able to mm-hmm. sort of relate to people and relate to yourselves in, in a much more open and sort of happy way. So I did that and I came back and I started integrating my sort of what I call what, what people would call it spiritual but that's not really the right word. Um, all spirituality is, is what is yet unseen. And for me, it's all about energy mm-hmm. and all about frequencies and all about the fact that, you know, we only pay attention to what we see and what, the, and what is external, but really the truth all lies on the internal and everything that's on the external begins with our own internal belief systems and experiences. And, mm. and, and I'm sure probably past lives and also ancestral traumas. I mean, I have a very strong connection to my mother's ancestral side, and I can feel that there's been a lot of trauma. I think a lot of women particularly have a lot of ancestral trauma in their backgrounds that that they probably are experiencing and don't know that they're experiencing their ancestral traumas and not necessarily theirs, but that's a whole other story. So I came back and I and I really started working. And it was just the beginning when, when the whole idea of, it was when like organics were coming into the world and solar energy and there were all this talk about you know the world was going to change in this more positive way and these different organizations like Lohas and conscious capitalism were starting to pop up and I became a big part of that and to me I was sort of like uh, the Trojan horse I felt very much like I was I was in business but I was really there just to hold these frequencies and bring these in and and help people understand that there's another way mm-hmm. that you know the the drive for money and shareholder value and for success in the way that it was currently being modeled was not the only way. So I did that for a long time and and I like I said I became the world's first chief consciousness officer at a global marketing consultancy and I was able then um, it was a really great time it, even though it was a very difficult position for many reasons which I won't go into, but it was it was great to be able to be sitting in front of the CEOs and CMOs of Fortune 100 companies and speaking to them about gratitude and wisdom and, and how they can sort of transform their employees and their partnerships. And they would listen. And it was my way of just bringing people into that world. Were there challenges associated with that? There were definitely challenges. There were challenges for me within the organization I was in. I mean, you know, most people want to know how they can monetize everything. So I was, and I was more about creating knowledge and educating and helping to illuminate and open people to the concept so that we could, you know, move forward in, in a healthier way. So I was, and there was a lot of conflict that I had. But I also, you know, got tremendous support from a lot of people. And, and by the time I decided that it was time for me to leave there, because I had always been a consultant. Once I left advertising new business, I had become a consultant and I was doing new business consulting. And then I worked at this whole idea of, of conscious consulting, working with small, mostly small companies that were beginning to bring these ideas into their sort of business models, but also they were small startups that were doing things that are good for the planet. And I was very committed to helping people and leaders and companies that were doing something good for the planet and whatever form that that took. Well, I was going to say you were taking a lot of your inner work that you had learned over the years and were directing it outwards in a very positive way for business. Yes. I mean, I was, it was all inner work. I mean, it was the structure of business was still there, but I was completely committed to bringing in these sort of what I considered like more, you know, higher, higher vibrations. Like I said, I'm very frequency oriented, these, these higher vibrations into companies so that they could lift the heart of the people with that are that are in these companies and they could try to create programs that would be more supportive to their consumers and to their employees and to the culture at large because we see where we've gone now you know sometimes we have to go to these places to to learn i mean suffering is a a great teacher it, it is <laughs> um, it's our greatest it's our greatest teacher because that's what takes us to the next level and and gives us the you know the pain that we go through is our greatest learning experience basically and we can take that and morph it into something better for us and i'm I'm curious as to 
your current passion is elevating consciousness and, and helping others. At what point did you make the shift from corporate and take more of a dive into the world of spiritual energy, frequency, and helping others? Because there, there must have been a transition at some point. Yeah, I don't think it was a, a big transition for me because I was born into it. So it was it was more of a reawakening for me than a awakening. Because like I said, I had as a child been very, very spiritual, very, very connected to other energies. I had all kinds of communications with things. I mean, mm. you know, my mother used to tell me I would get up in the middle of the night and just tell her there's something in my room talking to me. And she would just tell me it was my imagination, go back to sleep. So I had a lot of that, those experiences when I was young, but then mostly when I was in my 20s, you know, I'm young, I'm out of school, I'm, I need to find a job, and I'm in the whole, that point of my time. And I just kind of brushed it aside and didn't really focus on it, but it was always in me. I was always connected to those more esoteric lives. Like I always read books, I liked meeting people mm. that were... I've always been very much the person who wants to find the people at the edge of everything. Mm -hmm. And I want to go to the end of the road and see what's down there. I want to see what's around the next curve. I'm not so much interested in where we are right now than, than where we can go. And that's been, you know, I mean, when I was, when I first got, in, got involved in advertising, there were no business development people. There was like one. And I wanted to be business development and I was told I would never get a job because I didn't know anything about advertising and there wasn't any business development. But I interesting. Yeah, but I did. And I became a very successful I you know, I ended my career as an executive vice president of corporate development for a very large agency. I just kind of ran out of steam, didn't want to do that anymore. And and that's when I sort of moved into you know, what's the next thing for me now? And I quit my job at the time and I took a summer off and I took a writing class, which I had no idea I would be writing a book at a class. And I took an acting class and I took an, it was a, just a summer class at the new school in New York. And I, I had no intention of being an actress because I was terribly shy, very introverted, but I wanted to do something that scared me because um, I needed to come out of myself. And writing was just something I found a curiosity. Mm -hmm. The acting class was something that terrified me. In fact, it took me four times walking up to the school to sign up for it before I actually signed up. And did you go through the program? Yes, yes. And it was terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> what did you learn about yourself? I learned that I can get push myself through fear and that and that the fear is way bigger than the experience if you push yourself through it. And I don't think, you know, I'm the first one to say this. Yeah. But fear is, I mean, fear is a gigantic beast that is breathing outside of a door that is on the other side of you. And you don't want to open the door because you're afraid. But when you open the door, you see it's just this little mouse back down there. And so I kind of found that like, it, it you know, it, it was not easy. I mean, I think, you know, so many people want everything to be easy, but everything good in the world comes from struggle. I mean, you know, it comes from suffering. I mean, all, all the great prophets suffered, all the all great artists struggle, all great, you know, sort of political and, and, and religious, anything good that happens in the world comes from people finally saying, okay, I'm willing to sacrifice something for something better. And, and I think, you know, so when you do it, when you start small in your own life and you conquer small fears, it, it's like scaffolding and you, and you get training wheels to be able That's to, right. to take on the bigger fears that are, that are going to swallow us because that's where we are right now. I mean, we are a globe of fear. And if we just start taking on some of the smaller ones around us, whatever's there and open up those doors, you'll find that they're not as scary as you thought they were. And that's right. The worst that could happen. I mean, I was never going to be an actress. I wasn't very good. So it wasn't like I succeeded as be at becoming, you know, a great actress, but I succeeded in overcoming my fear and I succeeded in completing something that I didn't want to do. And that to me was a big thing too, because I've always had a problem with completion. I love starting things and I love, you know, the vision of them and I love the pulling together of them, but I lose interest and the completing was something that was important to me. So that was sort of a, that was my summer of transformation. I took those two classes. I never really thought I'd be doing anything. 
and and then I you know sort of like moved into this whole nother world and you know I got when I got into you know the whole conscious business world nobody was in that world mm-hmm. and I was the crazy person on the soapbox talking about consciousness and no one even knew the word I would be having business conference conferences with people talking about human consciousness and they would say do you mean conscience and I'd say no it's consciousness and they say well can't you can't you can't you say that you're like a a culture a chief culture chief and I said no because if you can't say the word consciousness you can't be <laughs> it you you have to I mean languaging is I'm very much about languaging and languaging is very important I mean I really I really kind of equate what is going on with this, you know, wheel, what is now becoming a much larger kind of awakening of consciousness with the same sort of shift in technology that would happen when digital technology came into the planet. You know, it started with a bunch of kind of weird people had this idea, had a belief system, started like, you know, in their own little worlds, thinking about what they were going to do. Then they started coming together, talking about it, started creating language around it because a lot of the languaging around technology did not exist until you know this whole sort of technological movement this shift happened and then they started building companies and and I mean I was in advertising when when the internet was just getting started and no one thought it would last all the people they put on on the you know working with technology and working with the internet were either young mm-hmm. or the, on their way out of the company or not thought of very well and then they actually became the most important people in the agency eventually because they got to learn skills and had knowledge that the rest of the agency did not have at the time um and and I kind of and and that and they changed the world and so I look at this now as you know those were digital technologies which were sort of external almost masculine technologies and I look at now as these human technologies which is wisdom intuition compassion empathy forgiveness gratitude and whatever other frequencies that are part of that they are really inner technologies they operate differently they're more feminine in nature because they're softer and they're not able to be metriced as easy. I mean, eventually, probably someone's going to come up with some kind of way of metricing these things. But, you know, our world does not value anything that can't be metric. Exactly. Let's, let's relate that back to the situation with the Internet and these young, you know, the, the younger generation that was embracing this. And, you know, the, the rest of the agency, those that have been in the agency business for for so long never thought it was going to take over what what's let's just you know fast forward to today and what's happening and not just you know with the the internet and the, but what is happening on an energetic level within you know on our planet what what are your thoughts around that around what what is happening and and how people uh, what they need to do to embrace what is happening and and move into that next version of of where we're headed well i mean i think the first thing people do which is you know whether why what is going on on the planet with this with covid um with everything else i mean there's so much misinformation disinformation lack of information um, we really don't know the truth, and that's and I think part of what this is all trying to help us do is to go inside and find our own truth and see what resonates. You know, I believe the next big conversation that we have post this, you know, I think you know the the idea of consciousness is pretty much in the mainstream now, and you know, all kinds of companies are starting to sell it and do whatever and stuff, but it, but it's really not being used properly. But the next thing will be about frequency and vibration and about the resonance. When, when someone is telling you the truth, you have a resonance in you that you know it's the truth. And it may not be the whole truth or the lasting truth because we don't really know what truth is. Truth is like a prism mm. and everyone's got a different truth. But when, whatever, truth is, whatever truth is for you is what you need to find out. And, and so I think, you know, I think the opportunity right now is for people to stop looking what's on the outside and listening to what's on the outside because we don't know who and what and why this information is coming at us. 
but we do know ourselves. And this is an opportunity to get to know ourselves better by slowing down, by being silent, by getting off technology, by sitting with ourselves, by writing our questions out, asking ourselves questions, by connecting to other people who are willing to go into these vulnerable spaces. It's really important when you're going into this kind of challenge to to be willing to be vulnerable and to be willing to let other people be vulnerable because other people's vulnerability scares us because it triggers our own. And yet if we sat with those same people and we talked, we shared our vulnerability, that's the beginning of strength. And the more people that are willing to share their vulnerabilities Mm. and allow them to be that way, because we're human, we're on the planet for literally a second. (laughs) We're not... We're not here very long, and we could have so much more fun than we're having. In the broader scheme of things, that's true. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we could be, I mean, I mean, no one feels better than when they're loved and appreciated. No stuff is going to make you feel better. You only need so much stuff when you don't have that. So if, if we would open ourselves up more and be more vulnerable and find people that are willing to allow us to be vulnerable and sort of kind of struggle through that because it's going to feel uncomfortable. Anything that is not what you've been doing is going to feel uncomfortable. That's right. Yeah. And it's really important that you allow that discomfort and you find other people that allow it. And then you also, you know, there's a, there are books you can buy. There are websites you can go to. There are, there are communities that are trying to be built. I mean, there are a, a lot of people that are trying to build this new platform for a more heart-based society. But it begins with the individual finding it within themselves first. And, and I think that's where we are right now. And I think that's the opportunity of this time is to sit with ourselves. And it's hard. I mean, I know all this and I have a hard time doing this. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, it's, it's not for the faint of heart. But if you, if you allow yourself to spend some time by yourself, asking yourself questions, talking to yourself in your head, writing down answers that you're getting in your head and not judging yourself, I think it's going to lead to a much happier place for you know not only you, but for everyone around you. Well, I think those are some wonderful words of wisdom and advice. And just to summarize, uh, you know, what you just said, it's, it's, it's about taking the time to slow down, quiet the mind, be silent, give yourself time off from all of the technology and the media so that it's not just in your face and distracting you. Well, one of the best ways is really getting in touch with yourself is asking asking questions and and just continue to ask questions and and write the answers down and uh, take the opportunity to be allow yourself to be vulnerable and one of the things that I've noticed and experienced and obviously works or I relate to is people who show their vulnerability because we all have these vulnerabilities and we all can relate to it and when we see that when someone shares a vulnerability about themselves, they're, what they're sharing is what they have learned about themselves, and they're sharing that their, their humanness, and they're, they're connecting. And it gives you the opportunity to feel like, oh, I'm not alone. You know, someone else is experiencing this. And it does trigger kind of our own things within us that we need to face, that we need to look head on and say, this is what's happening in my life and how can I do things differently? And we can't do that if we're in a world where we're constantly distracted. Well, you know, it also says, I see you. You know, I see you. I don't see what you're trying to project out in the world. It's when you are willing to be vulnerable, you, you say to that other person, I see you. Mm. I see you who for you really are. And that is a powerful, a powerful gift for anyone in this world right now is to be seen and accepted wherever they are at that point in time. Absolutely. I think that that is just a great way of summing it all up as I see you and it's recognizing and acknowledging it. And in doing so, you acknowledge it in yourself as well. Yeah. I mean, we're all connected. So it's just, we just have to kind of wake up to that and, and just, you know, care about ourselves a little bit more 
And by caring about ourselves a little bit more, we'll, we'll just naturally care about other people. That's right. I mean, it starts with us. It starts with mm-hmm. having self-care, self-compassion, self-love for the self. And, and then when you have that, it's so much easier to be able to provide it to others because you're in a state of peace, basically. You're in a, a more equilibrium kind of state or balanced state with yourself, and that's where it starts. I'm curious also, I wanted for you to be able to share a little bit more about your book, because the book has been a learning experience for you, Trusting the Currents. I have a copy of it. I've, I've started reading some of it, but I just haven't had a chance to, to get through all of it. But I would love for you to tell us more about the book, and I'm curious as to how the main character showed up in your inner life and entered your world and how you were able to bring her to life. Well, Addie Mae, who's the narrator of Trusting the Currents, has been the most important person in my life. And it sounds completely strange, but she has transformed my life like no one else has. I mean, I was on one track, you know, this is, she was, she was part of my sort of, you know, spiritual sort of transformation and sort of my own awakening. I had never expected to write a book. I never would have known I could write a book. I don't really even read that many books. So it was not something that was on my mind. And I was simply working. I mean, I had been to Sedona and I and I was very much, you know, back into my spiritual world. And I was having, you know, I've always been someone who sort of connected into and sort of channeled high knowledge but I'd never heard a voice before. And I was working on a project, like a consulting project. I was in New York at the time and I was on my computer and I just suddenly heard an old black Southern woman's voice say, it's not what happened to me that matters. And it was a very profound feeling because it felt like she was standing right next to me. And I kind of jolted and I looked around and there was nobody there. And I just wrote the sentence down. And as soon as I wrote the sentence down, she spoke again, but this time she spoke in my head. But she was, it was a very specific voice. It was African American, Southern, and she was older. And so I just kept writing what she was saying. And it was probably maybe a paragraph or so that first time. And then she left, and I was like, oh, well, that was kind of weird. And then a couple of days later, she was back and I opened my computer and I picked up, she picked up where she left off. And so what, what started happening was I would get this feeling, I could feel her. It was sort of a, there was a pressure. It was a, a pressure to write. I would feel this pressure to write. And wherever I was, if I was on my computer, I'd get on a computer. If not, I had to grab a pen and a pencil and I would just write what she told me. And she always picked up where she left off meaning it it was never like it was stream of consciousness writing. And I didn't know where the story was going until I was writing it. And I didn't really take it seriously for a long time. I just found it to be, you know, I was in a state at that point where I was having lots of spiritual sort of mystical experiences. So this was just sort of one of them. And I was mostly just observing them at the time. And so she, I just went on with that. And I probably went on with that for about a year, wherever I was. And I didn't, and about a year later, I went, oh my God, I think this is going to be a book. And as soon as I said, this is going to be a book, she told me to go back to Sedona. So I got on a plane and I flew to Sedona and I sat by myself in a place that I actually was house sitting. I basically house sat wow. my way through Sedona at the time, writing writing the the last um, year of the book. I spent well, I spent about nine months in Sedona, and I would get up in the morning and I'd put the computer on my lap and I'd sit there and wait for her to come, and she would come, and I would you know write whatever she said, and we'd usually write for two or three hours, and then she'd leave, and even if I tried to write something different, it would be awful, so. I would I just kept it that way and and when I first started writing I didn't have her name. I mean she gave me all the names of all the other characters. She gave me her last name which is Aubrey, but she didn't give me her first name. And I kept changing the first name through the entire first year and I it never f- kind of felt right. And then 
there was an anniversary of the church bombings that killed the four little girls in Alabama. And they had a news program about them, and they had the four pictures of four little girls. As soon as I saw Addie Mae mm-hmm. Collins's photograph, I knew that was her. Like, I mean, I didn't think it was her, her, but I knew that that was the energy that I needed to have this book. So for the rest of the time I wrote the book, I had a picture of Addie Mae Collins taped to my computer, mm-hmm. and I wrote to her, and I really felt this spiritual connection to this girl who was taken away in such darkness. But I just felt this very strong connection to her. It was very strange. And, and you know, all the characters in my story were African-American, and I would constantly ask Addie Mae, like, this is crazy. You know, I am a white woman from New York why am I writing this? And this is not going to, you know, go over well. And she just said, that's why, you know, to show what two women who share the same compassionate spirit can accomplish when they come together. And, and the whole book is, you know, really about, you know, celebrating our differences. And, and I write about that more at the end of the book. When, when I'm finished with the writing, I have the, the prologue and the epilogue or my story about how the book came to me. And, and my experience in writing it. And then the main book is Addie Mae's story, which is set in the South in the late 1930s. You know, right after I finished writing the draft, the first draft, when I, I didn't even know I was finished writing it until I wrote the last words. And then all of a sudden I went, oh my, I am done. And I burst out crying and I felt awful that I was finished. It was the first draft, which all came out in heavy Southern Black dialect because I wrote the way I heard her voice. I came back to New York and I put the book away for a year because I was in a wacko state from the channeling experience. Whatever that experience was, that whole time that I was in Sedona was a very, very magical time. And there's a huge, uh, nature plays a huge role in the book. And it was all the experiences that I had in nature here, which anyone who's been to Sedona knows that there's a very magical essence to the environment here. So I came back to New York and, and I put it away for a year and then I pulled it out a year later. I just felt her presence again. I never heard her voice again the same way. She never spoke to me again the same way. I used to say she kind of was like when I was a kid, I used to find baby birds that fell out of nests and I would raise them until they flew away. And they would, in, in the beginning, they would they would fly away, but they would come back to feed. And then afterwards, they would fly away. And if I called them, they would chirp to let me know they were there, but they wouldn't come back. And that's kind of what she was. She would, she would chirp and let me know she was still there, but she would never come back and speak to me again. And the whole editing process, which took eight years, because I had no idea what I was doing. And that's when I really learned to write. The first draft was just all Addie Mae. Mm. It's a long, very long story. This book has a very long backstory to it, the people that touched it, the things that happened to it. You know, I really felt like I was gifted with this book to bring it into the world and that I feel more like a steward of it. Mm. It's meant a lot to me. When I first finished writing it, I had this sense that, oh, I was this great teacher because of all the amazing spiritual and universal messages that are woven through the book. And there's an energetic frequency embedded in the writing that'll bring the writer into their heart while they're reading it. And I thought, you know, I was just amazing person to have done this. And then I found out later that I wasn't the teacher. I was a student and, and everything I wrote about, I had to go through. And, you know, after I wrote the first draft, I, I dropped into a very dark, deep, uh, dark night of the soul for a number of years. And part of that was in the caring of my mother, which was very difficult. She suffered terribly and it was mm-hmm. 24-7 care for nine years. And it was a long and very difficult chapter of you know my life and, mm-hmm. and my mother's life. But, you know, she passed very beautifully and I'm grateful for that. And And, you know, this is the first time now that, you know, I've kind of finished up everything that was that cycle of my life and and I decided to finally come to Sedona and you know see what what what's waiting for me here I didn't expect to be doing this in the middle of a pandemic but that's what happened I know there's a lot of things we don't expect to happen right yeah it's like it's it's like but you're you're here yeah you're here and I think that's you know trusting the currents is the name of the book and believe me the the title is not lost on me. And like I said, I feel like I'm the biggest student because, you know, I think we all right now 
have to trust the currents where they're taking us. And, you know, part of it is, is allowing the, the currents to take us and also being aware of where you are. And, you know, most of us aren't really aware of where we really are. We're, we're where we were told we're supposed to be. But if we get in touch with ourselves and we know where we really are, then it's easier to trust the currents and we can allow ourselves to go into the unknown and, and, and see what emerges from there. And that's where I am too. You know, I, I haven't, I haven't, you know, I'm not illuminated. I'm not, I haven't ascended in any, you know, meaningful way right now, but I've become more knowledgeable and I've become more spiritually mature and I've become more patient and more compassionate and, and more questioning. I think Mm. questions are big and I think it's not just asking questions. It's, it's understanding what the right questions are. And that only happens when we are able to go deep into ourselves and, and look for those questions. Exactly. And you have just an absolutely fascinating life story. And I think the experience that you had tapping into the, what I, I, what I have to say, the resonating with the energetic frequency of Addie Mae just shows how you've been able to bring that whole thing to life. And it's created a shift within you. And I think just reading that story and being able to share that with others. I love the fact that, you know, celebrating our differences and we we all, you know, if we really get right down to it, we have so many things in common, but also so many things that we can celebrate that are different. And that's the beauty of life and being humans. And yeah, I just uh, want to thank you so much for sharing your story. And I have just one other parting comment or question for you, actually. And, and that is, if you had a genie in the bottle and only one wish, what would that be? Who? that's hard. It depends on whether it would be a, a personal wish or a, a broader wish. I, if I had one wish in general, I would just that people wake up to their hearts. I mean, if they would do that, if we could get people to wake up into their heart, we would solve all of the problems in the world. And and all the personal wishes that I have would probably be resolved with that as well. I mean, my personal wishes, you know, obviously that, you know, the book finds its people. I mean, Addie Mae calls to those that are ready and and would be helped by her words. So that that's my personal wish. But, you know, my broader wish is that we all just kind of were able to exhale and go deeper into our heart and stand what's in there because that's where everything is. And we've just been programmed by the our external environments not to go close there. And we think there's something scary in there, but that's, you know, that's like, what's that? What's the Joseph Campbell, um, the the treasure you... The cave you you fear to enter holds the treasure you seek. That's right. And I think that that cave is the heart, you know, and the treasure is the fact that we are all connected and it's all about love and we're just afraid of it because our experience love has been very conditional. Mm, it has. And that is so beautiful because it should be unconditional and we need to trust our hearts and get more in touch with it. And I I think if we can just, you know, take a moment and just visualize the genie in the bottle popping out and asking for everyone to tap into their heart. Yeah, just sit with it, even if it feels scary, or if, if you well up with emotion, allow it out. I think, you know, people are afraid of their emotions, you know, because they feel bad, but they have to get out if you're ever going to feel better. And that's going only going to happen probably when we start connecting with each other and, and all these polarities that we are now facing begin to sort of erase and we begin to realize that, you know, we're like basically fighting ourselves. That's right. <laughs> we're, we're, just, we're just looking in the mirror, screaming at ourselves, but we think there's someone else there. <laughs> Hilarious. <laughs> so where can others learn more about you, Linda? Well, I have a website, lindapalio.com. I'm on, you know, all the general social media things. I'm, and my book is available on Amazon and on some of the other, uh, like iTunes and, and Barnes & Noble too. But 
but yeah, I'm out there floating in space, sort of sitting on the porch with the light on, waiting for anyone who wants to join me and, you know, a lot of other people that, you know, have basically committed to being of service here and, and wanting to change the world and, and make it a better place. And that's not just words. I mean, that is, you know, we are doing our best and we're not perfect and we're stumbling and bumbling our way through like everyone else, but our, you know, we have our eye on the, the light at the end of the tunnel. Exactly. I think those are some wonderful words as a parting comment. And I will say that uh, we'll include your website and your social channels. And of course, the link to Amazon for the book, if people are interested in exploring and purchasing that, we'll put that in our show notes. Oh, thanks. And I just want to thank you for being so inspiring and just being the spiritual being that you are. Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you. Well, sometimes I, I don't know how, I mean, like I said, spirituality is is a weird word to me. Like, I don't really believe that that's the proper word, but we really don't have the word that explains it. It's the closest thing we have. We don't have languaging Mm -hmm. that really explains a lot. I mean, that's why I use frequency a lot. And I think vibration, because everything is energy. And we use the word spirituality for what we don't understand. So maybe a better term is the energetic being that you are. Yeah, and then and that scares people off too because then it gets too woo-woo. <laughs> but frequency, I want everyone yeah. to hold on to the word frequency because that word and what it represents and the resonance of all that because when someone tells you something and you have this feeling inside of you that it is not true or it is true, that is resonance and that is frequency and that is the frequency of truth, either saying yay or nay. And that is just a primer in how to work with frequencies. And once you get to work with frequencies and you understand them, your whole world opens up and that is going to change the world in a huge way. We're not there yet. We're just beginning that process. But anyone out there that is connected and understands what I'm talking about, by all means, get in touch. Let's do that. And thank you again for coming on the show. Thank you, Carol. And thank you so much for the work you're doing on the planet. You know, we need more people that are helping hearts rise. That's it indeed. On that note, I'll close. There you have it, Hearts Rise Up listeners. Thanks to all of you for tuning your hearts in today for another episode. We hope today's show helped to bring a bit more joy and happiness into your heart. We hope it inspired you to unleash your inner power and rise up to your best and loving heart-centered highest self. We'd be grateful if you'd leave us a review on iTunes. Those reviews are important to spreading this valuable message. We'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast and share the show with others. Visit heartsriseup.com for heart-centered courses, guided meditations, and our popular notes from your higher self. Until next time, keep rising up and may all that you love thrive.